Hello everyone, welcome. Another squiggly film club awaits you. Hope everyone's awake. This is Ben Mitchell, joined by Laura Beth Cowley. Bonjour. And Steve Henderson. I was going to say bonjour. Ah, uh, sorry, I stole you. Salut. You can, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I've been trying, I've been learning French on Duolingo for a uh, trip to France I'm not taking in June now, which all the animators there are crying that are not going to Annecy. Uh, so I'm glad it's all those hours have finally paid off and I've found two uh, ways to say hello in French. Impress <laughs> yeah. us with your French, Steve. Uh, no. I want you to give <laughs> us all your feedback about the film in French. You have to be the translation for this episode. Okay, well, I suppose of the four modules I've got through <laughs> uh, on, on Duolingo, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll show you, I'll dazzle you with my, with my French knowledge. I mean, I can, I can tell you uh, the difference between a horse and a cat, if that comes up. Excellent. Yeah, is your learning you of languages exactly like mine, which is like I can say words, individual words, but I can't make a sentence, so I can like point at a ball in German, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's not useful or a bus and they're just going to be like well done <laughs> yeah it's it, it's pretty much that i mean I, I know how to say do you speak english in many languages <laughs> uh, that's that's all i need to know i think that's all Either they that... teach us in school yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you're english you're, you're top class you're fine everyone well, my, else uh, will learn at my school i had a german woman teaching us french and she had no command over the class whatsoever, so I learnt nothing. Because oh, my school, I went to school, I went to school in uh, this sort of hellhole called Grimethorpe, and uh, <laughs> the kids just spent all day throwing tables at teachers and stuff. It was it was amazing. Mine too. Mine locked our German teacher in a cupboard <laughs> for about an hour and a half. Oh, gotten himmel. We actually um, dissolved <laughs> one of our teachers' marriages. We were such scabs. <laughs> Long was story it, for it, another podcast, but still. Yeah. Fun yeah. school days. <laughs> all this uh, all this kind of French talking, I mean, obviously it was a, a match-up between a kind of, you know, triplets of Belleville and the Red Turtle, which uh, Michael Dudot do it, obviously French. Um but yeah, so triplets of Belleville or Belleville Rendezvous pipped uh, the Red Turtle to the post, I'm afraid, which was slightly upsetting for me. But oh, I think well. it would have been upset either way. Well, this is the fantastic. thing. It presents challenges, this podcast, but it builds character <laughs> as we soldier through. I'm sure you'll find there's plenty to like in Belleville Rendezvous. Mm, absolutely. But yeah, so 62% of the vote in the end for those that like their facts and figures, which is no one. Oh, there's, there's some of them out there. There's a percentage that I think would um, feel let down if we didn't include some percentages. 2.8%. <laughs> which is me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the man reading it out. So, uh, are you ready to ready for some Belleville Rendezvous? A rendezvous with Belleville Rendezvous, so to speak? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> okay, I've got my finger poised on the play button. Shall we Out count down? It's the most exciting mm -hmm. part of the podcast, I'm sure, for everyone. Okay, three, Trois, two, deux, one, un. play. Oh, Iris in Les Amateurs. Why is there maps at the bottom? Um, oh, that's a good question. Why is there? 
an equation I, at the bottom. I think that's Einstein's something or other. Oh, no, yeah. I think that's Elon and Grimes' baby's name. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Topical as well. <laughs> It's so annoying because that was uh, we had a you know heart set on that name. How do you pronounce so that name? Have kids and they put it to the post. Celebrities. Flinon. Belleville Rendezvous. Now this is um, the box says triplets of Belleville, way, but the actual film says Belleville Rendezvous. They never actually decided what the name of the film was. Well, we just call it Triplets of Belleville Rendezvous. There you go. Now, this is what uh, my animation students love to call the cuphead style, which uh, gives yes. me an ulcer. <laughs> Isn't that really jarring that they don't know? Like, so many students have, like, I've read a couple of papers on that, and they don't, they don't realise the that it came from something. Mm. Which I'm like, I, is... I'm always fascinated by the inability of people to Google yeah. It's fascinating. Well, I mean, if you like, it's like if you like Cuphead, you love like twenty years uh, from nineteen fifteen to you know nineteen thirty five. You know, you're in for a treat. And there was so much of it, and it was all the same. Hmm. It's a good style choice at the beginning. I think it's nice to kind of have this kind of fantastic start. There's lots of Hollywood stars that are kind of alluded to. We got. Um, Josephine Barker <laughs> here, giving giving the film its uh, its PG thirteen or twelve A rating because animated boobs. Where's the uh, app, Laura? God the... damn it! I knew we forgot <laughs> something. I don't think there's that many more boobs in this, so it would it wouldn't be worth the download. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, Josephine Barker's been quite uh, rudely caricatured here. I would say. But, um, the words right out of my mouth. Who's that? <laughs> um, but she's got like an amazing story. If you ever have a chance to sort, I've listened to a podcast a like, couple of weeks ago. Um, so you're dead to me, and it was about how she was a French resistance fighter and a civil rights activist and all that sort of stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Recommendation. But she also there. danced around in a banana skirt. That's how she got a start, I suppose. <laughs> you've got to start somewhere. Well, it's good that, that the important thing <laughs> contributed to the legend, to the legacy yeah. for her cinematic depiction. I haven't seen this <laughs> film in so many years. Like, I remember this being, like, so insanely impressive when I was in studying animation, like, on my undergrad. Mm. It's because it's in the Cuphead style. Before Cuphead. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school before Cuphead, kids. That's the how old days. we are. Some Holy kids Christ. listening are going to be like, there was a time before Cuphead? <laughs> There's a, the intense upskirt. Yeah. <laughs> was someone? Did I interrupt someone? No. Okay. Usually when everything goes quiet, it's because <laughs> I barreled over someone. Did you um, <laughs> see that he's opening a school? Like I think this is old news now, but uh, the director. Mm. Um, I didn't. Uh, I haven't really seen anything about him in a few years. He's opening up a school. I think this year. <laughs> Good timing. Um, but <laughs> somewhere in France. So it's going to be yet another French school that produces all the animators that everyone uses. Mm. 
but they're well, they've all got to come from it. somewhere. But they're all doing, you know, they're all going to be doing hand-drawn animation for the first year, and then digital for the second. And I do remember he uh, had some strong opinions about the standards of the British education um, mm. system when it came to animators, and we that he felt that do it very differently. Well, he didn't feel that it was to an employable standard. Well, that's how most people feel. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, you know, it's an alternative approach. Do you remember the, the, like, talk at math with Blue Zoo? I've seen a couple. Which one? About education and school. You were there, Steve. I think you were chairing it. Uh, Go on. Surprise me, and I'll go. Oh yeah, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I've chaired a few things there. (laughs) It was basically. So was it was it the bridge in the gap? Because uh, Paul Ward was there from Bournemouth, and apparently uh, that's one of the only schools that Sylvain Chamay would employ from when he was producing The Illusionist, mm. in terms of British schools. Yeah, yeah. It was Arts ba- University Bournemouth, I should say. It was basically just about how um, British schools should be focusing more on employability and like training people up in the traditional style to be able to work, rather than focusing on what, I guess universities in England in general and most universities focus on which is that plus you know research that and history and the other things that make you a well-rounded person Hmm. (laughs) who needs to be a well-rounded person though but the problem being that most of these people that go to these schools are well-rounded people because they do that stuff in their own time because they don't have time in their school time to do it where I, I don't think necessarily students pay attention when they're in class nor do they do the research out of it Mm. like unless they're made to because of an essay so much of getting to a standard is just doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and it's and and not stopping once Mm. you're out of school or when you don't Mm. have a job on yeah um and, you know, I think that's the thing that kind of filters the wheat from the chair. And the other thing with, like, some of the French schools as well is that they expect you to be pretty goddamn good before you even get there. You don't just yeah. arrive like, here I drew a picture of an anime character and an apple. And, pl- you know, let me in. It, it's my Pokemon portfolio. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're really good when they get there. Like, And also, other s- countries just treat art far better. And... You know, if you if you're someone that wants to go into the arts, you go to like junior schools where you do a lot of art and you do all the other subjects as well, like math, science and English so that you can, you know, live in the world. But you spend a a phenomenal amount of time drawing and doing Hmm. like foundation, proper foundation work to become better artists in a way that we just don't really in this country. Do you remember not that long ago they were going to scrap all the art courses in England? Yeah, there's been a there's there's a there is a I mean I don't want to get don't want to get political, but here goes. <laughs> uh, there is a, a a kind of a fundamental almost uh, disrespect for the arts. In, in, I mean, not from the teachers, not from the the institutions themselves. Um, although there are there may there may be issues there in individual some, institutions. Some of them, but uh, yeah, some of them, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but uh, particularly from perhaps from government. Um, I say perhaps definitely from government. Um, the, the, there has been a lack of the kind of um, appreciation for the arts. And when you see that it was the creative sector that got us out of the recession uh, or stopped us from uh, entering recession. Anyway, I'm going to shut up about politics. Um, that's enough. I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're missing out on this amazing film. <laughs> and they're setting up so much, aren't they? This is great. We've been introduced to uh, Madame Sousa. The film Sousa. is actually over now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry, sorry. 
It's I've relevant. It's a it beautiful is. film. It's better than us waxing on about like, oh god, look at that brickwork. It's so amazing. Well, it does set, I think, it is amazing, for a, um, you know, the attitude of the director. He's, it's reflected in this film. He has a very high standard of, you know, moving image. Um, mm-hmm. Although some cosmetic decisions, I'm not sure I... They, they strike me as a little surprising. Like? Um, well, have a look at this, what's going on right now with the dog. Mm. Now, a lot of the movement of the jowl, in particular, in his belly... Uh, when he's on the go, and when he was just sort of reacting to the train going by, the sort of post-movement settle, I find incredibly abrupt, personally. Mm. And because he's so jowly, you'd mm. think that there'd be a bit more floppiness to that. But doesn't isn't that something that carries on throughout? Like, he has quite a snappy... No, I think it's deliberate. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying it's, it's, it's interesting. It's almost kind of like counter... Mm. Um, intuitive as far as like what the sort of standard would be especially when it comes to like teaching animation mm. was that disney school idea isn't it as well like the extremeness in what sense it, like it's trying, like it or it's not like it like it's not like it. it's aiming more for isn't disney's a thing like aiming more for reality well fluidity yeah, certainly I mean, the, the characters, so are the saying, serious characters move in a very real way. So are you saying the abruptness of the follow-through on movement is more or less naturalistic? I would say it's a bit less naturalistic more because of how, when you think of a big chubby dog that's all jowls and all skin flaps and it's running around, like, there's a lot of movement that goes on throughout and it's very flowing yeah, yeah. You know, and when the dog sudden comes to a stop, it isn't all settled within like so a third of a second. So, what do you think that why he would do that, or what that's bringing to it? Because I think the thing I find quite interesting about his work is that it's all very, very beautiful and very detailed and very ornate and very like. There's a lot. It's very dense, but it's also really creepy. Mm. Like everything yeah. he does is really kind of like gross because it's kind of it's overtly detailed and like the movement and everyone's proportions. Like I always remember thinking that the cyclist legs were repulsive, much like actual (laughs) cyclist legs. They are disgusting Um, because they're like extreme humans, which is why he caricatures them so much. (laughs) This, I think this is, yeah, definitely one of the, the kind of the powers of this film really is that caricature. And I think, um, even in his earlier films, was it the the old old lady and the pigeons? What was it called? His short film. I think it was called um, the old lady and the pigeons. Yeah, got it in one. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a there's a sort of a, there's a mad caricature to that, and even characters that aren't meant to look like. I mean, obviously, um, the cyclists in this are supposed to look like cows, and I think from the kind of caricature you see um, the character of Champion, who we've just seen as a as a young boy, he's now more of an adult but i think it's quite tragic looking at him in this state because he is now you know he's like a he's like a calf ready to be slaughtered isn't he there's no kind of, there's nothing going on behind his eyes almost and i find that i find that freaky laura that kind of mm. that the caricature is kind of but giving that- him a, a, a almost monstrous kind of uh 
Well, that, right now we're looking appearance. at his calves. His bum calves. Yeah. The, the tiny, tiny knees. Yeah. Like, just barely holding on between his calves and his quads. But that is what, like, you've seen that, like, really overly saturated photo of cyclist legs after they've done the Tour de France. Uh-huh. I mean, technically, human, like, efficiency at its best, because they want to be as light, like, a bit like jockeys. They want to be as light as possible with all the muscles in the right places, which they don't need it in their arms. They all need it in their legs. You know, cyclists can never find jeans that fit because their thighs are so big. Mm. Um, it's just, it's it's grotesque. It's kind of grotesque in the same way that anything where someone pushes them, their body to the extreme ends up being a little bit gross because it's just not what we expect. I yeah. bet that would feel really good. Yeah. Like so, being yeah. tenderized by an egg beater would be amazing. <laughs> This business, I think the lawnmower is coming in a minute. Um, basically, like, she's she's kind of like cooling down his muscles because um, he's been training. Serrating so, his yeah. back. <laughs> now she's doing his back with the lawnmower. She was doing his cars with the egg beater before, and um, sucking on his legs with the vacuum cleaner. And these are lovely, lovely uh, little concepts. It's a great sort of. I like the fact that she sequence. has such an extremely one leg shorter than the other. As well, yeah. It's it's like you said. It's everything just like like really extremed. Mm. Like he hasn't. He's obviously obsessed with noses as well. Mm. Like every character has. Like there's no background characters in the sense that they're they're not generic. They're not like repeated. They all have really characterful faces. Yeah. And no one's just got a circle for a nose. Yeah. Well, I have to imagine that's a lot more fun to animate and more gratifying when you have mm. a character that's very angular uh, or has, you know, jowls or certain proportions. Like the the mother and the son, or is it mother and son? No, it's like no, a, grandmother. Grandson. Grandmother. Yeah, um, they're kind of physical extremes. So she's like, you know, a fire plug. Um, she has kind of the same sort of design sensibilities as the old dog. Like, she's also very jowly. Um, Look at that 360. It's insane. Hmm. Um, I think there's a bit of CG previs. There's, well, there's a lot, there, but there I think is. there may have been some in this shot. Yeah, probably. Um, once he's actually on the bike, like, it, it, it really kind of is a bit glaring. Um, Look at her weird eyes. <laughs> like they kind of look like buttons they look they have like because of the sheen on them they have that yeah. kind of 3d effect and it looks really <laughs> weird i love the dog it's the bottom jaw of the dog isn't it yeah Very. kind of you know you can hear him <laughs> do you say it's what you look like <laughs> no i said it's an underbite oh but why did you laugh? Laura? That was very that disrespectful. <laughs> I thought, no, I thought you. Neither you of you have an underbite. No, I thought you said it's what I look like, as in like you. Oh right, is it what I look like when you're concentrating? Sometimes I do get an <laughs> underbite. I had an underbite, and I do. I think get it when I'm looking down. You get the like, um, what's his name? Did the shining and stuff? Kubrick stare. <sighs> oh yeah, like staring through my eyebrows <laughs> with my bottom jaw jutting oh, out. Like I'm gonna end it all. Isn't it fun to be in lockdown with <laughs> with that <laughs> private pile? Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Now what we'll clock. Oh yeah. So yeah, the sort of a very sort of 
angled, detailed character design. I think A would be more fun in terms of working out the poses, and then also quite gratifying once you've actually gotten a sequence done. Because when you have things jutting out, and you Mm. get a successful bit of animation movement, it's really nice to kind of see everything working in the sort of 3D space you've created, you know, as a sort of illusion of movement. Um, What the hell is he eating? Fish stew? Fish stew? Why is it green? I I didn't really see. I think there were, like, fish bones coming out of it. (laughs) I do... I love how they set up so much character in in the kind of the background. You know, you know that the grandma's from Portugal, and and you can there's this kind of almost Heath Robinson sort of setup here. Uh, it's very kind of Wallace and Gromit, isn't it? For a for, for like a kind of um, on a budget, <laughs> the idea that everything's been done. Audience. Yeah, yeah, but everything's been done on a kind of on a shoestring for this this grandmother to to let a grandson's dream come true of being basically just an engine for a bike. Yeah. That dog is like a tiny cow. <laughs> the, the skinny matchstick legs as well. And that's what, like, that like is the thing with like really fat dogs. They don't, their legs don't get fat. <laughs> they just <laughs> balls of blubber on sticks. Egg on legs. It is. It is really. Yeah. I do find it really sad. This, um, you know, the way that he is. That's all he's for. I mean, there was more character in him when he was a little lad who wanted a bike than there is for the rest of the film, for mm. me. And I find that quite tragic. But, it, you know, it's part of the sort of, you know, the richness of the story, I suppose. It is strange how it is incredibly bleak, despite the fact that this is clearly his dream. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. there's no joy in it. Well, it sort of seemed like, <laughs> at the beginning when he's a kid, she's sort of throwing stuff... Adam to see what he engages with and the sort of moment there's the slightest bit of interest in a tricycle it's like okay that's it that's your future yeah. <laughs> no, he's, kind of, he's obsessive with it like that that scene where they're in the when the puppy is a puppy and the dog is a puppy and he, and he just got sort of, out the thing and he's just cycling round and round and round I think it's meant to sort of represent that kind of like people that are sports people they get really obsessive over a thing. And either they get to the point where they break and they get bored of it, or they don't, and then this happens. Mm. And their whole life... I've, I've always found sports people really sad. because Not like... <laughs> not the whole... I think it's amazing that they, you know, they're able to achieve this thing, but I've always just found the, like, the course of their life. Like, if they... I always think about, like, not the person that wins, not the Usain Bolt, but the person that comes, like, third every time, or fourth, actually. <laughs> like, their names are not going to go down in their history books. They've worked their entire life. They've worked as hard as Usain Bolt, but they just don't have his legs. And, like, mm-hmm. who? what the fuck is that guy meant to do with the rest of his life? Oh, well, you know, he... he Becomes he can, a gym teacher? He can say that he tried. Yeah, but, like, what do you do with that? Like, most of them don't have, like, other... Thing. I mean, if, if you come in, you know, if you come in third, if you come in third, then you'll. I suppose you'll just have to live off the lavish sponsorship opportunities. But if you don't, presented. if you come like fourth or fifth, like you're still training as hard as everyone else, you're just not that good. You mean it's genetics? Which is 
you just yeah maybe <laughs> i don't know i don't know how it yeah. works but like just the idea that you like you'd have your whole life aiming towards going to the olympics or like those people you see that like that's what they've wanted to do their entire life and then they can't do it because you know covert happens mm, or mm-hmm. they break their leg at the like final hurdle or you know get sick or something or their family gets sick so they have to give it up and it's just like what the hell is that <laughs> i just love this premise that as animators <laughs> oh. we're um talking about athletes and going oh those poor <laughs> poor people <laughs> yeah, but at least like i mean we don't get a lot of work and it's not the best you know money making career in the world but it does keep going we oh, don't, no, we I, don't, I think absolutely like if someone old. you know is you know devoted their life to athleticism i'm sure there are probably moments in their life with us like why the hell didn't i just go into cartoons but we don't get like too old to do it. Like if we break our leg, we can still animate. I mean, it's a bit shitter if you go blind or break your hands or something. But sure, what? <laughs> yeah, it's one that, of my worst fears. Start... Is the idea of going? He's been an athlete. It's one of my worst fears. Oh, yeah. It's one of those rational fears. I think, like you know, a, a, an irrational fear would be you know sharks coming out of the wall. I think everyone's afraid of going blind. No, I know, but I mean more from the point of view that wouldn't it suck if, like, your entire living and livelihood and things that you enjoy in life was all predicated around the ability to make things? It would suck Mm. for everyone else because I'd have to go back into music. (laughs) (laughs) So we're at the point in the film now where uh, champions... Is he actually on on the Tour de de France going round? And the, uh, the mafia have arrived. And this is just... This, again, is that wonderful kind of caricature. They're just enormous squares. Well, this is a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with... What is the deal with, like, action and adventure films where there's, like, some sort of bad guy where they always want them to be twin men? I've seen this in so many films. The Matrix? Uh, the Matrix. Um, Better Call Saul... What's the other one? Twins are, are just creepy yeah. inherently. <laughs> when they want to be. I think it's something creepy about when, when twins go into the exact same profession. Mm. At the same level. And do things in unison. Mm. When they go into killing together, it's that must be ominous. So here's a story point I don't quite recall. <laughs> Why do the Mafia want him? Like, I, re- I remember what they do with him, but I'm, I, the why... It's to do that, isn't it? It's to do that. They need cyclists to recreate a kind of Tour de France, is it? And then so people can bet on it in Belleville, in the big city. Well, let's not ruin it, guys. Okay, so it's it's for gambling. Yeah, Oh, that is a great shot. But will it happen? Will it not happen? Keep listening to the podcast. Yes, I didn't spoil anything, Laura. Shush. (laughs) So I have sort of mixed feelings about the the CG um, character work. Which I assume is traced over rather than yeah. cell shaded. Although the line it's really work is simple very shapes. Smooth. Yeah, it's really simple shapes for the characters' heads um, and arms and stuff. And then what they did is they animated the cap- you know the detail of the character over that, uh, and obviously went over the bike because um, although it doesn't look net, you know the movement's really smooth. But there's a there's a line quality there that's uh, mm. captured in pencil. I think it's it's a sort of mid. Like the sort of slightly uh, wider shots, where it looks very cel shaded yeah. to me. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> what is this guy yeah. even doing? <laughs> having a, he's dehydrated and having a panic attack. This is this. That's the kind that to me leans on that sort of weird tragedy element as well. Is you know they are, they are just calves. It's really sort of freaky. It would be easier to tell, I think, because this is a what we're watching right now is a DVD rip, or rather a, a, a purchased DVD. Um, so the line work, the finer line work, isn't that um, uh, easy to make out. I think if I was watching mm-hmm. this on Blu-ray, it would be easier to tell. Um, yeah. But I'm, I suspect that maybe for those like wider shots, they're actually not tracing over them. But for like this one, but for the close-ups of the face, it's definitely like proper line work over the top. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of, it's it's a shame because I think the two oh the the track as well is obviously you know um, yeah a ZG track, and it's a shame that certain elements I think didn't need to be CG, and maybe it was out of necessity. Or maybe it was genuinely felt at the time, because it's, what, 15, 16 years old now? 2003. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, a while ago. Maybe it actually, like, seemed like an impressive visual, like, the smoothness of the CG movement. But, you know, I think at this point in 2020, we're all kind of over that, and I think the stuff that we really... or The stuff I certainly enjoy more is the actual hand-drawn... Bits. What are we impressed by or not impressed by? Sorry, I like two D animation because and I'm we're not impressed animation. by the fact that this is two D animation that's been done over CG. That certain elements of CG I think stands out quite a bit and, and makes it feel with a bit line dated. Work that's been rendered in the CG, or it's so I think that it succeeds in varying ways. I think the close-ups, when it's clearly line work over the CG, work better. How is that different than to the thing that everyone's obsessed with now with things like Spider-Verse and that jazz? I think it was different at the time, wasn't it? Because back in 2003 or whenever this came out, I mean, I remember when Future Armor first started... And there were CG shots in there of like the Planet Express ship, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, the CG in it, the okay. CG in it!" And some people were like, "I don't even know the CG in it." So, I suppose uh, we'd have to trace our minds back, wouldn't we, to um, to the point at which this <laughs> became a point? Yeah. I love the whistle, which she's got. Just earlier on, when the 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 guy was changing <laughs> the tire, she was just whistling at him, you know. <laughs> Facing him. Did you ever watch the Tour de France when it's on? My parents like the Tour de France. My dad quite likes watching it. I find it like the most boring sport <laughs> you could ever watch, next to like maybe tennis. It's not riveting, but it's very calming. I haven't in a long time, but I used to watch it um, when I just needed to kind of wind down and clear my head. And it was something sort of you know hypnotic about it. Um, Little cameo there from uh, the old the old lady in the pigeons character. Mm-hmm. Had to get a beacon. He's in uh, the Illusionist as well. Ah, I think he's there. It's very economical, Sylvanshame <laughs> using his character stuff again. I don't really find sports that are like a race. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> just be using him as a tire. Um. 
very interesting purely because I feel like the amount you're getting from it you could just get from finding out the results at the end. Hmm. Like, oh, that guy won. Great for him. Oh, I could, yeah, I could care less about who actually wins. I, do, I, I don't even know who the people are necessarily. It's a sort of... There are strange sort of things, I think, where people can engage with sporty stuff in a way just because of the atmosphere. Like, um, mm-hmm. my think... dad used to listen to cricket on the radio, which you wouldn't think would work, but he would listen to it while he worked. And it wasn't, obviously, that he was paying attention to a cricket match. It was how the radio commentators built up. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it's a form it's of like those people that it? used to watch snooker on a black and white telly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only like things like, are like I quite like watching archery or curling or something that's about precision. Mm-hmm. That ship is mental. It's it's amazing, isn't it? So we're at the point in the film now where uh, Champion's been kidnapped. He's on a he's on a ship, a very amazingly designed ship. Why is the uh, ship so much bigger than the lighthouse? <laughs> it's fantastic, it's isn't shit it? shit lighthouse. I, can, may I interject? Okay, we just saw a dog run cycle. And um, given his snobbery about the British education system, if any of my students had turned that in, they wouldn't have passed. That was That's <laughs> not how a dog runs. Sorry. That's not, that's not how, a, legs, how an overweight dog would back legs were moving in complete unison. It's galloping. That's, no, a gallop is still offset. Yeah, but he's galloping mm. with an elderly Portuguese woman on his back. Ah, there we go. There, you know. See, that's how you know. I'm too much in my own head. <laughs> he's also smoking really weirdly. That's not how you smoke. The run cycles, the smoke cycles, it's all off. <laughs> Ugh. I thought that, that bit was, yeah. What the <laughs> hell? It's his big eyelashes that I find Doe especially eyes. creepy. Their muscles are going to atrophy. Like, they've just been <laughs> cycling and now they're just stuck in a pen. Where's the, where's the whisk? Ugh. One F for 20 minutes. Yep, that's all I want. F's. Yeah. I miss currencies, like there being more than, like, four (laughs) (laughs) when you go to Europe. There's a little Easter egg at the end of the film with this uh, pedalo guy. So it's like like the Marvel films, you have to wait till the very end of this film. We don't have to, but, you know, uh, might as well. (laughs) Blur the bird. The thought extinguished itself before it could leave my mouth. <laughs> What's going on with the if sky? If only more would follow suit. Okay, what? now this is a style shift. She's boned. She's on a pedalo. And now this, in terms of CG and, and, and for the time, this is impressive. I mean, still now it's quite impressive. I, I'm sure at the time it was. Um... You're so snobby, Ben. Like, you're so hard on these animations. There's, well, there's nothing bad about it as a, in terms of a sequence of, you know, um, 
thrashing waters in a storm. It was it was realized well enough. I just I could see why. Okay, it, it's two thousand three. Um, oh, this sequence is going to be really dramatic and impressive. But I just sort of feel now that it just clashes a bit with the rest of the film. So you know, there is these water there is effects a... and the whale and all, it just sort of it feels a bit like an odd juxtaposition to me um, mm. that maybe I wouldn't have batted an eyelid at at the time, um, and I'm sure most people wouldn't care either way. It's just you know people look at these things with different sets of eyes and. Um, mm. You know, my is, preference is pretty clear. I, I I like the more sort of. But it is it is that as well. It's keeping in mind that this was made, you know, eighteen years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's great. So we're in Belleville now, which is basically uh, an even fatter. Of the <laughs> States. Yeah. Uh, well, he said it's a cross between Paris, Montreal, and New York. But I think that enormous Statue of Liberty kind of leans a little heavily on. Uh, on New York, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, she's making her way through to the uh, to the big city. So apparently, there was a, a lot of trouble with the the backgrounds for this film. There was uh, plagiarism, oh. according to uh, what I've read. So um, the work on the city looks a lot like uh, the work of uh, Nicholas de Creasy. Cressy, I'm terribly sorry, I've destroyed your name, Nicholas. Um, so there was an accusation, I don't know who from, of plagiarism because the work looks really close to um, the work of Nicholas, uh, who worked as a background artist on The Old Lady and the Pigeons uh, and worked with Sylvain Chalmay on earlier productions, but not on this, I believe. Well, then it would do, wouldn't it? Hmm. It also looks this like quite a, a lot shot. like 101 Dalmatians and Oliver and Company. It's New York. True, but so I think there's the a particular style, style, I guess, or the lighting. line style, the kind of the, the spires coming out the ground, the colour, the the ink, you know, the whole thing. If you look at uh, some of uh, Nicholas de Creasy's work, um, it's yeah, there's it's it's pretty unmistakable. But that must yeah. be really hard to say that about a background because. <sighs> Quite a lot of people draw like this. I mean, it also kind of looks like New Yorker cartoons, and I assume he doesn't do all of those. I suppose, yeah. I suppose that's fair. This is the thing. This is the problem with plagiarism. plagiarism. It's a... um, It's a really problematic thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, It's not like I'm not disagreeing... I'm not disagreeing that he... If he feels like that way and he sees his work in it, but if you're going to work for a director who is then is known for a style because all of his films have a very similar style then it makes sense that his backgrounds probably would and if he didn't hire him he'd hire him someone that worked in a very similar style and a lot yeah. of illustrators work in very similar styles i mean you say there are accusations did anything come of them I'm not sure. I mean, I've just apparently it was it was a huge issue with the kind of uh, the comics world because decreases uh, yeah. uh, a lot further in the comics world. Although he has worked for Disney and worked for other animators and stuff, um, it was very kind of it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that he'd have a like a case or you know a real gripe if certain backgrounds were actual like things he'd come up with, like actually sort of tracing the drawings or really, really closely resembling them. 
rather yes. than the overall style. Um, so let's say we've got this, you know, street corner right now, and there's a sign with a motel um, neon sign. Like if that had been like an actual specific illustration of his, then yeah, that's plagiarism. Mm-hmm. But if it's evoking the same mood using the same line quality, it's it's definitely not something one artist I think can really claim to have, um, you know, invented. Well, it's not yes. a huge dip away from this, and this was like four or five different artists. But also, yeah, I mean, there's got there's a certain mm-hmm. an understanding that the when Sylvain Chimay was commissioned to make this feature based on his short film, and the guy worked on the short film, then people are expecting a certain style. And if the guy can't come on to work on the feature or doesn't come on to work on the feature, then I suppose your hands are tied to a certain extent. You've got to go with the style that you're known for when you worked on, you know, with this huge team working on the short film. Yeah. And, you know, the the original artist would have been hired on the short because his style fit the vision of the director. Hmm. So, you know, it's that there's a similarity is just that that vision hasn't changed drastically. Um, so we're letting him off. Yeah, I don't I don't owe anyone in, anything. In, I don't know why I'm <laughs> making such a case either way. What was the name of the artist? Squiggly Court has decided <laughs> <laughs> unanimously it's uh, Nicholas de Creasy, so C-R-E-C-Y. And the E's got a little hat on or a little... Uh, accent we've we just gone past with all the, the background we're talking about the backgrounds but going past there uh, when there was a little pan um, I love the kind of the, the Tower of Babel kind of references mm-hmm. it's beautiful beautiful work and now the, uh, the triplets of Belleville the titular triplets themselves have finally made an appearance or rather only over- halfway through the film <laughs> I guess we saw them at the beginning. Uh, they're yeah. distinctly less cupheady now. Um, I think I always like these because they kind of remind me of the witches in Macbeth. Ah. <laughs> I remember having a, a, a sort of conflated memory after I saw this for the first time that there was a kind of witch component to it. But I think I might be confusing it with something else. They also have a bit of the fates about them as well, don't they? Mm. There's beautiful musical elements to this film. Yeah. Of the colours of their outfits. Mm. Sort of... The colour in general is such a lovely palette. Like everything just sort of feels like it's, you know, just coming up to dusk. Everything looks like it's had tea pulled on it. Mm. Yeah, stained. They made an old pirate map. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they start and then they build on it. (laughs) (laughs) I love how she walks like a weird pigeon. (laughs) Little uh, look at the turd in the toilet there. It's shaped like Mickey Mouse. Take that, Disney. Oh, snap. So the uh, you're talking about the the triplets, the way that they walk around and kind of hobble around. Apparently, it was based on basketball players. Huh? Um, so like this kind of they're really gangly, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But they're sort of the hunch. 
It's a really like engaging kind of introduction to three characters out of nowhere, isn't it? Well, you know, obviously we've seen them at the beginning of the film. And then there's a little um, uh, Jacques Tati, uh, Monsieur Hublot kind of reference in the background there. Loads of Easter eggs in this film. Or nods to future works. What was the uh, reference? Poster. Well, oh, yeah, so the poster in the background for um, uh, Mr. Hublot, which was obviously Jacques Tati, which was the second film. And I think, if I remember rightly, there's a, a snapshot of olive oil somewhere mm. in here. And that picture there of the family when they were a lot younger, apparently his next film is going to be based on these triplets in an earlier early life. Oh, that would be cool. cool. Yeah. Yay! Train window again. <laughs> he feels at home. So how do you feel this sort of measures up against the illusionist? Because I think, generally speaking, I mean, for obvious reasons, the, the two have an association. Yeah. It always felt to me like this film had more enthusiasm for it. I think visually I preferred this film, but I think I followed the story of The Illusionist a lot better. Right. I I absolutely adore The Illusionist. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there, Laura, in terms of, like, visually this film is more engaging because this is uh, Chomet allowed to do what he does best in terms of caricature, whereas I feel The Illusionist was trying too much to be a Jacques Tati film, which is no bad thing. But when you're trying to be a Jacques Tati film, the character has to look like Jacques Tati. And the extra characters, they can't be as caricatured as you might like. Uh, there's nothing done in The Illusionist that couldn't really have been done in live action. And I think that maybe lets The Illusionist down slightly. Although, to say that, I absolutely adore The Illusionist. I'll put it on any day of the week. Uh, the character animation in there. The I love the fact that it was made in Scotland, and I love Edinburgh. Edinburgh is one of my favourite cities in the UK, and so to have this kind of animated film set there, so detailed, um, <laughs> I love it. But in terms of caricature, in terms of, I mean, look at this sequence here. This wouldn't happen in The Illusionist, you know, blowing up frogs to get your dinner, um, and you know that that smile on her face. It's it's so beautiful. Such an amazing film. So many dead frogs. I put up a tw- I put up a tweet earlier on saying uh, for the price of frogs legs you can rent this film, and I was scared that people wouldn't realise I was referring to the fact that the characters eat frogs legs. I, th- I was worried that people might think we were being a little bit um, a bit xenophobic. Frenchophobic. <laughs> is it a pho- is it phobic if they actually do do it? Uh, let's not go down that route. <laughs> I, I think in today's climate, uh, yeah. you know, generalizations are often read as glib, dismissive. Um, Have you ever mm. had frog's legs? Yes. Have you? I had them in France, so. It's no. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I had frog's legs uh, with two friends in Annecy, and every single point during the meal. One of the people, I turned around to the other two, or one of the others turned around to us too, and we did the same thing with the frog's legs and made like a little, you know, uh, one froggy evening dance across the table. <laughs> to the to like, and we all caught each other doing it and didn't acknowledge it. <laughs> it's, it's, all like, you know. it's just what you have to do. 
<laughs> you have to go, hello, my baby, hello, my... You know, you've got How to really they? go for it. But um, What, the singing or the food? Um, the they, food? They taste like fish mixed with chicken. Yes, yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, they're really nice. Um, I mean, you don't get much meat on them. No. It's like a kind of like Weatherspoon's drumstick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you get more in a chicken wing. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, Maybe it's this that gave you witchy vibes, Ben. Probably. Yeah. It's like a, fi- a frog stew. <laughs> <laughs> the like frog does uh, The dog, yeah. <laughs> when I'm older, I think I'm going to look like that one with the plaits. It's good to have a goal. <laughs> Which one? The one that we. The one on the left. You can't see here right now. Right. The one on the is... right looks like a very familiar design. Like it, I've seen a character very similar to her somewhere else. Mm. She looks like um, Mystic Meep in Mib in uh, Step Shore. Sword in the Stone. Is it Sword in the Stone? Madam Mim. Yes, Madam Mim. I got the sound right, just not the words. <laughs> yeah, halfway there. That's good. Yeah, like a there's a bit, bit where I, she takes I, her hair down and when she turns into a pretty lady. Mm. And it has a very similar movement and style. Yeah, there. That's what it reminds me of anyway. Yeah, the head shape, I guess. That must be what I'm thinking of. I think... Something in my head was thinking maybe like a Warner Brothers thing. But. This is very witchy. Like, are they going to make popcorn out of the tadpole? <laughs> I mean, it's one way to kind of make your pension work, isn't it? Yeah. You know, to eat frogs for free and and uh, live a, live near a brothel. You know. I saw a thing about the music in this film as well. They uh, they were quite unconventional with the... Um, they used like a hoover and played it like a saxophone, you know, having all the kind of squeakiness and, uh, and things like that. It, it was really odd. I don't know how they did it, but to make some of these kind of, kind of unusual uh, noises. Mm. It's always good when you get good Foley in film. Well, this film, I think, is so dependent on it. Mm. I remember we actually, um, when I was studying, uh, one of the, uh, we had like a sort of section on sound and there was quite a bit of reference to this film. And what he <laughs> liked to do, it was, um, I think it was Mark Hewis who ran that, and he would just play a sound from the film and try and get us to work out what was going on from it. Yeah. Um, and the soundscapes from this film, probably at any given point, you could probably just take, you know, five minutes of sound and just the, the swirl of images that would go through your head. Cause mm. It's so densely worked down and everything is absolutely sort of perfect. But it kind of, often we would then see the animation. Uh, like, I think one sequence was the dog going back and forth up and down the stairs to the train going past the window. Um, and if you take the sound of that on its own, it's it's quite hard to work out what was going on, you know? And there was a real, I think, you know, there was a real magic to that that um, made quite a few of us think, okay, that's something that you do need to take seriously. 
Yeah, um, definitely. And I, you know, to this day, it's, it's still, it's never not going to be an issue. I was watching um, one of the uh, Stuttgart live streams uh, during the day and just showing film screenings. And I think they may have been student films, but, you know, a good half of them, like the sound just wasn't there or the music was just some arbitrary piano piece that didn't really go with the visuals. Yes. And it just, like, to me, it kills it in a very obvious way, but I'm sure to a lot of people, it makes for a quite dissatisfying viewing experience in a way that maybe they can't put their finger on. He said patronizingly, like, people don't well, no, understand it's true. sound. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, you, you'll know this being on, on well, you both know this being on the jury of, of festivals and such, or, but uh, on pre-selection, when you do pre-selection for, for festivals, is that when we're watching films for, for math and the Foley's not right, then we don't want to put people through that in a cinema. No. You know, you, you're not supposed to notice excellent Foley. But when it's not there, you can hear it. When it's just, you know, oh, my mate plays the guitar or my mate plays the piano, I'll just get him to play a random tune and that'll work with the animation. You're doing yourself a bit of a disservice there and you're doing the film a bit of a disservice. So, mm. you know, it's really important to get um, get Foley right. Absolutely. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we're hoping to do uh, once the lockdown is over is turn one of our unused rooms at the studio into a proper Foley studio. Nice. That should be fun. Not sure how much call there will be for full Foley. We don't necessarily do that many films. As mm. such, a lot of it's just kind of... It's just you. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just Ben's noise room. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we put Ben when he needs to do his primal screaming. <laughs> I thought you could hire the, it out uh, the studio at work I yeah I know oh, right. hmm. you I, don't I, need... I, I thought you were talking about the room that I go in here to scream <laughs> <laughs> no not our primal screaming room Ben <laughs> <laughs> that's for guests <laughs> so we're back to the plot the, uh, the gangsters are back on the mafia I love how there's no delineation between the characters. They all exist as one form, <laughs> just heads coming out of this like dark brown mass. Why are they injecting them with wine? Because <laughs> that's their fuel, I guess. That's a very good question that I've never, uh, never wondered about before now. It's a little xenophobic within its own film. It's <laughs> celebrating its own culture. Let's go with that. Maybe it's not wine. It is wine. Yeah, it's wine. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is a kind of odd concept, I guess. Like the unquestioning, like because this is the thing is, I guess you were sort of saying before how they're kind of likened to cattle, um, mm. like. In your read of this film, like, do these guys even feel like they're in danger? The butler's the best thing. Yeah, I don't. I think when he get when he got <laughs> dragged, <laughs> I really hate. Oh, the butler. he's like Judge I Doom. It. I love it, but I hate him. <laughs> After he gets run over, he's so horrible. <laughs> it's like he has oh, no. Sp- it's this. like he's 
his spine is too slack, and I keep uh, thinking he's going to die because he's going to break his neck. The butler is, for me, one of the best pieces. I mean, look at these guys running in there as well. It's it's such a... It's, oh, man, it's just that perfect caricature as well. Look his face. <laughs> so <goodness>. simpering. <laughs> Anything else? Why is he waving his hands like that? Because he's a weirdo. <laughs> It's like Slender Man. His neck is like jerky. <laughs> He's like a pepper army. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful piece of caricature. He represents to me the unpleasantness of going to a, a little bit too posh a restaurant for how you're dressed. <laughs> like, you just feel very uncomfortable and aware of yourself. Okay, that makes more sense now. I was confused as to why they were so precious over their fridge, newspaper, and um, yeah, Hoover, and now now it makes sense. In spite of having all those musical instruments on the wall, yes. their actual instruments are... Random crap. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're asking about the them being like cows or Ben? Yeah, so they just seem very vacant. And kind mm. of throughout, like, I think, if my memory says, when they do get, like, rescued, they don't really snap out of it. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, that always struck me as kind of an odd um, element of it. Like, they are just these sort of creatures that are just like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll exist here or I'll exist there. Like, maybe on some level I'll know I'm free. Well, but, the way uh, they got lured into the van as well, it's, it's you know... They're like, come on, into the van. I'm like, all right, fine. And I know it's obviously it's a, you know, a bike van, but um, yeah, there was this just kind of the way that he looks with nothing on his eyes, uh, in his eyes, and you kind of work it out yourself. Why is everyone fat? I think it's meant to represent just like decadence. I think this is a city right. of just. But they were fat in the olden days as well with the belt. Oh, is it? It was the same place, wasn't it? But yeah, all the Melville women were just basically fat. Fatville. It's uh, like spend, eat, consume. Um, it's New York. It's Disneyland. It's you know. It's all those. Yeah, the decadence of it all. Um. So yeah, I wonder if because I remember a few years ago, uh, Sylvain Chumet did a segment for The Simpsons, one of the couch gags, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, we were talking about, like, how grotesque he makes things. I mean, that's a prime example of, like, how detail <laughs> is not, you know, the friend of the characters. Um, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful sequence, but they all look, like, abominable. Um, <laughs> and um, there's a part of that I remember where um, Bart is sitting on the couch and he produces a... Um, or is given a, I think it's a f- uh, foie gras DIY <laughs> kit, and it comes with a live <laughs> yeah. goose, and so he has to strangle the goose and funnel corn into it to Lisa's horror. Um, <laughs> and so I wonder if there's a kind of um, personal thing with Sylvain Chermay as far as you know those kind of practices. Um, you know, herding yeah. animals for slaughter for... Um, 
Uh, it's, it's making making the kind of French sort of uh, Mickey take, isn't it? That's what it is. It's the French caricature. It but feel, yeah, perhaps it feels French, a bit like France he's is, going. You know, you want me to do the French thing? Here it is, and like mm-hmm. it's very like confrontational how like aggressive the french bits are like the fact that they're injecting wine they're blowing up frogs they're stuffing a goose mm. but like, that's that's well that's marvelous though that they're they're kind of taking the mickey out of what the rest of the world takes the mickey out of if you can do that mm. i think that's that's always a sign of a good sense of humor isn't it if you can kind of really take the mickey out of yourself then you understand how humor works because you understand what's funny well, that certainly seemed to be the case, you mm. know, back when this film came out. The early sort of noughties, late 90s, everyone had kind of come around and had stopped being so damn offended by every mm. little thing. And it was kind of almost a reaction to that. It was like, let's just point it at ourselves for a while and lighten up uh, and take, you know, uh, take jabs at our own culture. I think things like um, in England, probably stuff like League of Gentlemen... Yeah. And to a far less successful extent, in my opinion, Little Britain. Um, it was kind of like, you know, we are ludicrous. Let's extract that. Um, and I think the kind of pendulum swung back now and people are not finding much humour in that these days. Well, Little Britain was on TV a couple of weeks ago for this kind of big lockdown uh, TV event. And they did, um, they did the sketches that they did. They did the... Um uh the disabled guy in the wheelchair and uh Lou and Andy is it yeah. and uh the I'm a lady sketch and obviously oh, wow. instantly accused of you know transphobia and um all that type of stuff uh, as well as disabled you know disableism is that is that a yeah so um have it you know offending those people um so yeah you know it, it's a different time now isn't it yeah, well, and I'm also, you know, as you were saying that, the, there was a shot of, you know, more big fat people on the street, and that's the kind of thing that would probably upset some people now. Like, you can't, mm. you know... Have they made frog ...be lollies? fat comedically, which I, mm. I have to say, as a, a big fat guy, yeah, you can. It, lend, <laughs> it lends itself really well to comedy. Um, not necessarily, you know, good comedy or highbrow comedy, but it's, you know... It's certainly not like I'm. You're watching this, and I'm not getting any mean vibes from it. I understand the point, but mm. I don't feel personally offended. Um, whereas I think there is kind of a climate now of like seeking out what is the thing that I might be able to identify with that is in the line of fire, so I can be affronted. And I just don't remember there ever being an appetite for that. Like, you know, wanting to find reasons to have your day ruined. There's enough real ones <laughs> already, you know. Mm. Um, there does there does come a point in term with with offence where on the other side of the coin where people say, "How can you be offended by that?" Uh, and this is usually aimed at a particular. God, this is very political, isn't it? We're getting political again. Um, don't worry, we'll shut up in a minute. Uh, but. Uh, when 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 the the flip side of the coin is done and people go how can you be offended by me using a particular word or describing you in a particular way uh it's exactly and then liking it to something that's nothing like that um i think it just it goes 
down or back to the kind of, you know, sort of live and let live philosophy that, you know, we should all have. You know, if people want to take the mickey out of things, obviously um, Sylvain Chimay has taken the mickey out of uh, the French lifestyle uh, or, or the French kind of the national kind of uh, stereotype and he's perfectly entitled to do that. And if people are upset about that, uh, then that's that's the, that's an issue with them, isn't it? You know, was it Walt Disney used to say, "I don't make films for my critics; I make them for my fans." But I think also it, the time that this film was made and came out, I don't think it ruffled a single feather. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people just generally universally understood it and appreciated it and identified that, okay, well, this is, you know, these are jokes about certain cultural stereotypes that are also kind of celebrating the culture. Because, you know, hey, frog's legs, if it's your thing, are probably very delicious and wine is great and I bloody love a baguette. (laughs) Like there are, you know, and obviously there is such a thing as positive... Um, stereotypes having negative connotations and things like that, but that's not what this film is is trying to do. Hmm. Um, you can that's you can that. tell because I think that there are some films that kind of skirt it, and they will try to be deliberately provocative and yeah. kind of hide a little bit behind the ah well this isn't really offensive because it's all in in good fun it's all a joke, but you can sort of tell when that's insincere, you know, or when yeah. that's kind of an excuse. Um, and it's usually accompanied by a bit of a deficit of artistry. Um, yeah. Which is certainly not something this film could be accused of. I well, love, we just, look we at just... the rotation on that. <laughs> the sort of plussing of the, um, you know, the, the kids getting into the cinema in the one overcoat and just kind mm. of taking that We've also just reached a point in the film where, for the first time, we've we've hit some real danger because it's you know we've had a film that's very kind of based on on caricature and based on um, you know how ridiculous things are. We've just seen one of the uh, one of the cyclists shot to death by the rather sinister looking guy, rather kind of um, looks like a senior Tory politician, Ian Duncan Smith. Um, I was just thinking that. Yeah. I, I didn't put... I, the, it took you saying that to... Um... <laughs> but uh, I think now there's danger in the film. And I think that's great in terms of storytelling. It's not all just uh, wacky caricatures. There is there is real danger here. There's real consequence. And the mission has consequence now. And that's just, you know, sublime storytelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the plot so now, is obviously now, we, now we're all <laughs> we're yeah. all invested in it now that there's power. we are so uh madam Sousa has uh has taken the place of the mouse guy the little guy who's the engineer who's worked on this contraption uh, that her son Champion is is cycling on um, in this kind of f- fake betting scenario. Um, the machine kind of reminds me of the uh, the fun fair thing, you know, when you throw the balls to make the horses go across. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Did you go to the fun fair, Ben? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I thought I'd, I'd let Laura take the lead on that one. <laughs> How many goldfish did you win, Laura? Uh, I don't think we had goldfish when down in the south. All right. I I remain proud. I I won one thing in one of those grabber machines for you. Yes. Which uh, I'll never do again. No. <laughs> it was such a, a mission because I had actually spent like probably at least five goes trying to get one for you. I'm like these things are just rigged. You can't get. Them. And then two minutes later, I saw someone had gotten the thing I was trying to get you. <laughs> um, so then it became my mission. So then you beat him up and nicked a toy, and that was how. And you there you go. It. That's the <laughs> chivalry isn't how, dead. Do you remember how mad I got at that like guy who it was one of those coconut shy type things, but where you knock down the cans, and um, this kid knocked them all down, but because the cans didn't fall off the off the shelf, he wouldn't give him anything because he was like, "Oh no, you have to get all the things off the shelf." I was like, "Fucking bollocks, <laughs> does he? Unfair." <laughs> And the parents are like, it's okay, you know, he has to learn to lose. It's like, no, he doesn't. He needs to learn to punch this weird townie in the face. He didn't lose. <laughs> like, he knocked the like, things over. I was like, you're very lucky this kid is not my kid, because you would, you would have a new face. <laughs> like, that's not fair. I remember, because the kid was trying to win a Despicable Me doll. Mm. And I remember there's a scene in that film. Yes! About like, those pieces of shit. It's like it's the one scene everyone knows because yeah. of the fluffy doll. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was so mad. <laughs> the injustice uh, of the carny folk. <laughs> so the tables have turned now. Mm-hmm. So they're on the move. They've, uh... And the uh, the tiny baby mafia mafia have died, presumably. So they murder us on the run now. Is that what's happened? <laughs> Very slow moving. No. So yeah, they, they rather than just get them, you know, safe and free, they're just <laughs> using the contraption of their torture and torment as to their escape, escape vehicle. <laughs> and that, that, that bit so kind of reminded me. So they're sorry, free that bit now. Kind of reminded. Sorry, you go. No, it's fine. <laughs> you tell the story, Ben. I was just going to say it reminds me of the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but you know that's that's it. That's all I've got to say. You tell the story, Ben. Go. Oh, because they went through the wall. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> See, it was worth it, wasn't it? I've already forgotten what I was saying. Bloody uh. Skype. <laughs> they're on the they're on the move. They're using the instrument of torture to escape, which solves nothing. <laughs> oh yeah. So as far as these guys are concerned, they're still like they're captive. Really bad at driving. They're just you know with the good guys now, um, but their you know their propulsion is being used to get everyone, um, I guess, safe and free. And I suppose eventually they'll get to have a lie down. <laughs> where they'll have a lawnmower put over them and egg beaters on their legs you know there was a, a I assume it's still a thing um, but in the last days of being a member of the fancy gym the uh, treadmills and cross trainers had this thing, got that baby that state of him that baby's on all the sugar um they had a thing on the machines where they would like, it was really depressing, and they, I'm sure there's a little thing of like a POV of like jogging through a glade, or bicycling through like you know um, a picturesque mountain range, that kind of thing, right. and it just made me feel like 
absolutely like carrot stick sort of like, oh yes, I'm buying into the magic of this. I'm going to keep running. It's like that Black Mirror where they all have to like cycle for food and. Pork. Oh yeah, for yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was quite similar to this sort of setup. That's why I don't go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things I'm not missing particularly <laughs> with this whole situation. <laughs> It's yeah. finally you know, an, an excuse. Now I can not you know, go half-heartedly twice a month. I can just <laughs> not go at all and be like, no, it's okay because it's the law. It's not that I'm a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> just fate, isn't it? It's just, you know, <laughs> you just got to use the, the cards that life's dealt you. <laughs> Such a great chase sequence. Yeah. Yeah, the sort of the the sense of gravity, these really sort of bulbous um I, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> well while I was saying it. <laughs> Using the hats now. This is, you know, proper how to escape when you're an old lady. Use your hat. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there uh, he goes. <laughs> oh, dog's and there's the, the payoff, the dog barking at the train. <laughs> <laughs> Good old reprise. <laughs> so yeah, now the rest of the journey, I guess, is going to be slower going. So this is this is completely as far as I actually remember, if I'm brutally honest. It's been a few mm. years since I've seen this. I just remember them going through the wall and like getting away, but I don't yeah. remember if there's like an epilogue or anything. So yeah, me, me, I've not, I've not rewatched this, so it's uh, you know just as exciting for me to figure out what's going on. This is like watching me drive up Park Street. <laughs> <laughs> Downshift, Laura, downshift. Just don't roll down, just don't roll down. This is what I imagined driving would be like. And dead. Yeah, definitely dead. Yeah, this is, for me, it's that hill um, (laughs) just past Pottermore where I always feel like the car's going to, like, conk out. (laughs) So, uh, obviously, it's no. Great surprise that this film was nominated for two Academy Awards, if you fancy a little bit of fact fun. Uh, Animated feature and original song, but it lost both, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Great fact. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's great for people listening, but not if you're involved in the film. (laughs) What does it lose to on the feature? Finding Nemo. Yeah. That was a good one. I say it was a good one, but the... um, it was quite early on in the sort of academies um, doing a, an animated short, and I think in those early years, it would have been nice for them to. <laughs> it would have been nice for them to have honoured a few more films like this. It might have changed the kind of appetite for this type of work. Yeah, but when you think that it's only the uh, voters' kids that get to choose, that's true. They're gonna pick Nemo because. I found this quite f- hard to follow the first time I watched as an adult. 
Mm. <laughs> so I can imagine children would maybe find it a bit challenging. Well, knowing Definitely. what we know now about the people who actually make these decisions, I think the adults would find this challenging. Mm. Like, mm. They're not speaking. I don't get it. Trash. Yeah. <laughs> it looks old. I just let my I let my kid pick it. Wait, are they cycling like back the to past. France? Jesus. Looks like it. Maybe maybe Belleville is in France. It's just like a very American-y type. Oh, maybe it's set in the point of when they were making the Statue of Liberty, so it hasn't gone to New York yet. <laughs> oh, maybe. Actually, it's set. There was a little oh. thing earlier on I've got to say. It's, that's the end. That, that that's was it. very it was abrupt. A, it was a flashback. He's an yeah. old man. Uh, that happened to me, <laughs> the end. Is he just watching the whole thing on a TV? Who was there with the camera? Well, it was a it was a flashback. The whole thing was a flashback. We've been, uh, it all led to nothing. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's it. That's the triplets of Belleville. Wow. Or triplets of Belleville rendezvous. That's probably why uh, we don't remember the ending. Yeah, it does. Just it, kind of, they get away, and that's. It feels that's like it. they ran out of money. That was the ending. Yeah. I think that was the ending. Lack of. Well, I don't know finance. if they did. They actually did, because uh, right at the very beginning it started after the whole kind of cuphead sequence, for want of a much, much, much better term. They they started rubber hose. with rubber hose. <laughs> I, I like. I like. No, no, no. Let's let's just go with what we're, we're, with the with the kids now, Laura. You know, let's not. You know, go for a different audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Um, do they listen to podcasts anymore? No, they're all on TikTok, little fuckers. Anyway, um, but uh, the, uh, right at the very beginning, the first shot that we see in, in the style of the film is uh, Madame Souza and uh, Champion sat watching the telling the same thing, but obviously now it's flash forward to the future for no apparent reason uh, other than to kind of bookend the film. But yeah. But yeah, in terms of when it's set, uh, there was a newspaper f- flashed up and it was the 6th of May. But it's the seventh of May now, so that means nothing. Then it'll be the eighth when this goes out. So I'm just trying to fill time. I'm just trying to fill time now, guys. Let's well, we pick next week's film. Sure. Let's yeah. let's uh, ban some banning some ideas about. BFG. So, BFG. Ooh, uh, you wanted to do the BFG versus the BFG, didn't you, Laura? Either the BFG versus the BFG or the BFG f- f- versus the Iron Giant because they're both giants. That was my so logic. the giant versus giant. Who will Cosgrove win out? Hall, <laughs> the battle of the giants, literally. Probably the iron giant. He has lasers. Yeah. Um, so like what the Cosgrove Hall BFG? Mm. Not the uh, the recent oh, yeah. terrible BFG. Yeah. What was the other one you wanted to do? I forgot. Uh, I wanted to try and get Ethel and Ernest in there somewhere, but I feel the battle of the giants is a much better concept. I like that. I'll think of one for Ethel and Ernest. What, another film about old people getting old? Yeah. There's bloody tons of them. <laughs> up? <laughs> yeah, the first ten minutes of Up versus Ethel and Ernest. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so should we do the BFG versus the Iron Giant? That should be an interesting one. Right on. Oh, yeah. I really hope the BFG wins. I know it won't, but I really want it's it to. It's got no chance. I know. <laughs> Don't oh. disappoint Laura, people. Well, um, 
Well, yeah, but but we will disappoint you. Sorry, Laura. <laughs> hmm. um, it's a shame because it's such a good film, the BFG, I think. Uh, but what we'll have to do is we'll have to figure out a way of getting all these second place films in here somewhere because we've not worked out what we're going to do with all the all the losers. Should we have like a kind of a playoff? Well, we could do. Yeah, we'll do an, another round. We'll just pit them against much much worse films. Yeah, <laughs> and get worse and worse and worse till we or run out of films. Or just decide that uh, screw it, we're doing this one today. Yeah, we're having <laughs> You don't like it? Make your own film club podcast, you lazy pieces. <laughs> if you keep making your own decision, all. we'll make them for you. <laughs> Ethel and Ernest could go against Ernest and and Celestine. Celestine. Yeah. yeah. They both have Ernest. characters called Ernest. Okay. Yeah. They're both 2D. Amazing. Cool. Um, so we've got 47 seconds left. Um, Quebec, we're going to do Quebec, BFG Quebec. next week. It's all Quebec and Bristol. <laughs> Is it? Where was the Bristol? Before Quebec, it was BBC Bristol. Ah. Wow. Luminel. Um, so, well, if you want the BFG to win, vote for the BFG. You can vote on Twitter, Facebook, and the website, squiggly.com. And if you want the Iron Giant to win, you can do exactly the same thing. But obviously, vote for the Iron Giant. Uh, share this podcast with your friends. Let's get as many votes as possible. Um, that's all from me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later. Oh, and here's oh, the payoff. The here's coda. a little gag at the end. <laughs> He's still He's waiting still for that there. She got a one francs worth, didn't she?